Halloween is Nicole's favorite um, holiday. For me, it's Thanksgiving. I just love all about it. To me, it's about food. It's about company, about family, generosity. I completely just am blind and ignore the whole historical perspective of the indigenous people and the colonizers. I just don't want to think about that for a second. But just focusing on the, what it means for me um, in terms of our family getting together, feasting, and really being thankful. To me, that's just the most amazing thing, right? Getting together, eating an amazing meal that literally lasts for days, right? We're still eating that meal today. What's for lunch today? Turkey leftovers. That, that's what's for lunch today. Yeah. That is, to me, such a blessing. And honestly, it's also such a function of privilege for us to be able to gather and cook way more food than we can potentially eat and continue to eat and have all of that food stored in our fridges and our pantries. We're just such a blessed people, and that's something that I just love that Thanksgiving kind of does that for us. In opposition, then, there is Christmas, and I'm not talking Advent Christmas. I'm talking about Hallmark Christmas, and Target Christmas, and Walmart Christmas. I don't know if your family's like mine. I don't know if you've gotten all the catalogs of all the toys. We got them in July. They were ready for us to start buying. Um, I love that they're, they're interactive now. They're pretty cool. They come with stickers, right? So the kids can kind of put the sticker on whatever toy they want. And we have created this whole expectation of the Christmas season being entirely about the gifts and who gets the brand new car, like the commercial. So far, no one that I know has gotten a brand new car with a big red bow, but if you're getting one of those, I am jealous. Um, Christmas season is certainly something really, really interesting when you think about it. Um, it has, honestly, it has become a cultural expression of Americanness, more so than a religious expression of Christianity by this point. And that is the piece that I kind of oppose and I just don't like. All the songs about the reindeer and the grandmas, all the songs about the bells, all the songs about, you know, I just have such a hard time with it because to me, as I constantly think about it, it's about the birth of the Savior. Amen. And, and there's this dissonance. And I promise I'm not the Grinch, and I promise I'm not against cultural Christmas, and like it's, it's cute and whatever, and, and, and it's fine. But sometimes we can be so wrapped up by this cultural, American cultural expression of Christmas that we forget the real thing that's happening behind it, right? This light that was coming right in the middle of darkness. This ray of sunshine that was coming right in the thickest of the night. This salvation and redeemer that was being born for the whole world. And we just kind of forget about that because we're singing about the reindeer and the grandma and Mariah no. and, 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 and Carey. Um, <laughs> not all. Not all. Not all. Not, don't get me started about Easter and the bunnies and all that. I have a whole other rant about that, but you'll have to wait for Lent for that one. Um, to me, this is why Advent, not only is it beautiful, but for us, it's necessary. Amen. It's necessary. Advent as a season to wait, to pause, to long, that Spanish word, anhelo, to long for, to expect, and that joyful expectation, to me, that is the prescription we need in this time and in this season. 
Hi, again, I know I'm the Grinch, but one of the rules that we have instituted in our house is that we do not want to do all the gift giving, and I'm not judging you if you do the gift giving, that is fine, go for it. But we have, we have brought it down to one thing you wear, one thing you read, one thing you craft, and one thing you can play with. Four gifts, which is a lot of gifts, right? And also, for us, it's been a way to just bring it down from the constant just mountain of toys that, can, that Christmas can become about. And that's why Advent, I think, is so important. Because it cures us from our consumptionism. It cures us and it cures our children from creating this culture where Christmas and receiving gifts are the two things that are the most connected. Amen. And again, I am, I'm not against gifts. Right? And you can say, well, Jesus got gifts. Um, you know, the, the Magi. Jesus did indeed get, get, uh, get, he got gifts. Interestingly, if you look at the story, um, it was probably about two years later that Jesus got the gifts, right? Yeah. He didn't get them on Christmas Day. He got them about two years later, and this is why when the Magi went to see King Herod, and then Herod realized that he was getting played by, by, by the Magi, he orders the, the, the killing of all male babies two years and under. Why two years? Because Jesus had been born about two years before, right? So even this connection that we've made about gift giving is actually not fully baked into the Christmas story. There was no gift giving at the moment of the birth of Jesus, which we celebrate in, in uh, December 25th. Anyways, I, I swear I'm not the Grinch. And I swear I'm not judging gift giving and anything like that. But I do want us to remember, and I think Advent does that for us, that as Christians we have this spiritual obligation to long for and to expect the coming of the Lord. Amen. Yeah. And for us to live within this Christian imagination of the longing of the Lord, to me, I think is one of the most powerful things that we can do for ourselves, for our communities, for our practices. We'll, we'll get to the verses in a second, but I think so much of Christianity, so much of our life is often um, grounded in the remembering, right? Remembering your ancestors, remembering Father Abraham, remembering all the good things that God has done for you. That is great and fantastic. But one thing that Advent does is actually not about remembering, it is about, about expecting the future. Advent really switches the gears on us from being present, in the, from being um, um, focused on the past and being focused on the present to being focused on the future on what is about to come, yeah. on the longing that we have for the full expectation of God's goodness, God's beauty, God's graciousness, God's love, God's mercy, God's redemption to be fully established across the whole universe. That's what we expect for in Advent. We both look back at the, at the coming of the Savior and we look forward to the next coming of the Savior. So with that in mind, we find Jeremiah, and I think this verse is doing exactly that. The day will come, right? Jeremiah is talking about a future day, says the Lord, when I will do for Israel and Judah all the good things I have promised them. And there's a reason why Jeremiah is saying this to, to the people of Israel at this time. Remember Jeremiah, we were just talking about this a few weeks ago. 
The temple in Jerusalem was sacked around 70 AD. But back when the first temple, Solomon's temple, was also destroyed by the Babylonian invasion. And so at this point, this is exactly what is happening. Jeremiah is talking to a people that are in the diaspora. They are a people that are no longer living in Judah or Israel. Their land has been stolen from them. Their entire culture, their entire situation, their entire historical context has been completely uprooted. And now they're living in a completely different country and part of the world, mm -hmm. which is now Iraq. Very far away from where is now Israel. So for Jeremiah, there is this promise, and the focus that Jeremiah has is on the future, not on the present. The day will come, says the Lord, when I will do for Israel and Judah all the good things I have promised them. I think in great part, one of the reasons why Jeremiah was actually so focused on the future it's because in the present time, they were in despair. Yes. They were suffering. They were in despair. They were struggling. One of, one of the commentators that I was reading this week and preparing for the sermon wrote, Humans meet despair when they cannot imagine God's promised alternative future. I'll read that one more time. Humans meet despair when they cannot imagine God's promised alternative future. Advent for me and for us really is a re-remembering of that alternative future that Christ is bringing in His second coming. Advent is changing the expectation we have for the future. If you ask just about any economist, any historian, any, any political scientist right now, what is their expectation for the next 50 years of the world? We ain't gonna make it. It's not pretty. Well, climate scientists, it's not pretty, right? Just absolutely, there is no good news if you look at the news out there. Doesn't matter what channel you're looking at, there is no good news. It doesn't matter if you're focusing on political theory, economic theory, climate theory, climate change, there is no good news. And if we let ourselves, we can very quickly get wrapped up in the middle of despair. And I get it. I go there about three times a day. Yeah. <laughs> I do. At least. <laughs> At least. We, despair is this condition that we're just so focused on what makes sense, right? Like, of course it makes sense to feel despair when a people has been complete, completely uprooted and taken to another country. Of course they are feeling despair when their entire livelihood and their future has been completely challenged and they are no longer in their homeland. Of course they are feeling despair when, when the oppressor has taken them has completely destroyed their temple and the, the center of worship and has take them, taken them to a foreign land. So right there in the middle of that despair and in the middle of that situation, Jeremiah writes, The day will come, says the Lord, when I will do for Israel and Judah 
all the good things I have promised them. Amen. Lesson number one for us. God has good things in store for us. Amen. Now let me be clear. This does not mean the lack of suffering. This does not mean that you will be rich. And this does not mean that you will not be sick or endure sickness. That is not what this means. But it does mean that the Lord, just like the Lord had for Israel and Judah, the Lord has good things that the Lord has promised for us as well. If you read just a few chapters before that, Jeremiah 29, a very, very famous verse says, I have good things in store for you, says the Lord. Right? I have a future and a hope. In the Lord's promises, there is no despair. Despair is only coming when we fail to see, when we fail to imagine the coming kingdom and the coming future that the Lord is bringing about. Despair is what we see and what we get when we get stuck in the present. When we get stuck with the difficulty of the present moment. But hope, hope is that expectation of that which is coming. Verse 15 says, In those days and at that time, again, not right now, but in those days and at that time, I will rise up a righteous descendant from King David's line. And this descendant, he will do what is just and right throughout the entire land. In that day, again, this is in the future, Judah will be saved. And I love this next line. And Jerusalem will live in safety. In safety. How many of us are eagerly waiting and expecting safety? Psychological safety, physical safety, emotional safety, spiritual safety. And this will be the name of this descendant. The Lord is our righteousness. One of the names of Jesus, we were singing one earlier, our Emmanuel, our God with us. This is another name of Jesus. The Lord is our righteousness. One of the most important things that we can do for a practice in terms of, of living out our Christian faith and living out our Christian spirituality, is to develop this practice of imagining the future with God. If all we can do is construct this present reality, then we're not preparing ourselves for the coming future. Right? One of my favorite theologians says that he doesn't know if we're able to enter into the new Zion right now as people are trying to build it right now. He says, but I do know that I want to be the kind of person that when the new Zion comes, when new Jerusalem comes, I want to be the kind of person that is ready to live in it. Sometimes when we forget about the future, when we forget about Advent, when we forget about that longing, when we forget about that expectation, we become the kind of person that is so situated in the context today, so situated in Hallmark and Walmart and Target Christmas, then when the real Advent comes, we're going to be like, holy cow, this is what the Lord was talking about. Right? 
And you know what? I, I, I think to a certain extent all of us will experience that because we cannot fully understand and fully imagine what the Lord's mercy and redemption and love and grace for the entire world is. But I do want to be the kind of person that it is now practicing the advent of Christ. I don't want to be surprised when the advent of Christ comes. I want to be practicing and imagining the fullness of the richness of the prosperity that is present in the kingdom of God. Through Jesus. I don't want to be the kind of person that is so focused on the now that we just forget that there is a second advent coming that the Lord is coming, that the Lord will change things, that the Lord will change this world, will change the principalities and the powers that are present. We were talking last week that all things will be redeemed through Christ and in Christ. Amen. Right. I want to be the kind of person that is practicing the second advent, the second coming right now in my own head. I am really good at being the person that can catastrophize just about any situation. You can tell me any plan and I can tell you five ways in which there's wrong things that are going to happen. <laughs> I, was, I was in a meeting today with um, other people from the college. I know, I was working on Sunday morning, it's crazy. And we were talking to this person who was saying that she has developed this practice with her team about creating a pre-mortem. Not a post-mortem, right? A pre-mortem. They anticipate what are all the things that can kill this plan before that has happened. And I'm like, I want to be in that team. I'm good at that. I am the chief pre-mortarer, right? I, I can anticipate all the bad things, and I'm really good at that. Um, for those of us who struggle with anxiety, you know what I'm talking about. We're good at it. Right? That is one thing that our anxiety is really good at. We, we, can, we can anticipate all those bad things. And two things happen. One, all of those things usually don't come to fruition. Mm -mm. It, and then when they do, they're almost never as bad as, as we thought they were. There are exceptions. I think the pandemic was an exception. I don't think any of us could have anticipated how deeply painful and hard and complicated the pandemic would have been. For a lot of yeah. us, right? But then there's the other piece that we can get stuck as the pre-mortarers and chief. And we can go through life anticipating, oh, that's going to fail. That's going to fail. That's not going to work. That's not going to be done. Every single Thanksgiving when I cook the turkey, I'm like, it's never going to be done. This thing is not going to cook. We're going to eat at 5 o'clock when we're thinking we're going to eat at 1 o'clock. And I get so worried about the turkey not cooking. And lo and behold, every year the turkey cooks right in time. Right? We can get stuck in the pre-mortem. We can get stuck anticipating all the bad things. We can get stuck in criticizing and deconstructing and tearing and teaching apart all the things around us. And all those things are true. I don't want to say that that's wrong, nor should we delude ourselves into thinking that that's not real. It is real. But the Christian practice of imagination is the practice of unstucking ourselves from the pre-mortem and anticipating the coming of the Lord. The expectation. Ah. The Christian practice of imagination is thinking about what the richness and the fullness 
and that and the, the completeness of the kingdom of God is going to be like and start living it now. Amen. And honestly, I think that is one of the biggest charges for church communities across the world. Amen. We are supposed to be pockets of anticipatory people who are trying to live out the kingdom of God in its fullness. Right here. Amongst us and amongst our neighbors and our communities. What Advent does for us is that it recalibrates are thinking from thinking about the past and anticipating the worst to thinking about the future and anticipating the best. It is not self-delusion. It is a confidence that the Lord is coming back. Amen. That forgiveness is coming. That redemption is coming. Amen. And that hope, hope is coming. I love that this week is the week of hope. Every time I preach, I literally ask myself this question, how am I injecting hope into the congregation? Because my, my hope is that you would take something with you at the end of the sermon. Amen. Not just to come and feel bad or feel happy. Those are good things. But I want you to have hope, real hope. Hope based on Jesus. Amen. Based on forgiveness. Based on this amazing Jesus who has made room for everyone at the table. Who has a kingdom that is coming, God's kingdom is coming to show the world how much God loves the world. So Advent for us is switching from pre-mortem to hopeful expectation. Switching from just focusing in the present and in the past to the anello, the longing, the waiting, the expecting of the Lord's coming and the full redemption of what the Lord is about to do. So here's what I want to do. We almost never do this, but I want to do a little quick imagination exercise. All right. And I know, again, we almost never do this, but I, I promise this is part of the Christian tradition, of the mystic Christian tradition for the last 2,000 years. Yes, put yourself in there. I want to invite you to close your eyes if you feel comfortable doing that. And try to quiet your mind a little bit. Take a couple of deep breaths. And now say to yourself, in Jesus Christ, I am looking forward to a land of peace, joy, hope, and love. Imagine this land of peace, joy, hope, and love. And then say to yourself, may I live in peace. May I live full of hope. May I experience joy. May I recognize that I am totally and completely loved. Now take a second to rest in that feeling. The feeling of being loved and accepted in all of your totality. The feeling of hope and peace that is coming.
And imagine God's presence wrapping you with love and acceptance and forgiveness. And just like Jerusalem, imagine being totally and completely safe in God. Imagine God's hope for the world, for your family, for your parents, for your children, for your loved ones. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we, we want to imagine your coming, the power of your kingdom, redeeming the whole of humanity, the whole of this world, the whole of, the, of this universe. We want to imagine you coming and changing every unjust and oppressive system that lives here. Eradicating poverty, eradicating oppression, eradicating anger and unforgiveness, eradicating the sin that still some of us sometimes participate in. May we be a community that is not just thinking about the past and focusing on the future, but may we be a community that is right now eagerly expecting and anticipating your second coming. Amen. Let us be a people that longs for you to come back. And let us be the people that are prepared to receive you when you come back. Amen. Prepare our hearts this Advent season, Lord. Prepare our hearts to receive you to receive all of your goodness, all of your mercy, all of your hope for us, for each and every one of us, and for all of humanity. We ask, we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, this is a perfect song. Um, they have just made a movie about this song. Um, that I can't wait to see.